So I'll give you the quick rundown. We were four employees with zero ARR in this product in 2014. We'll hit 100 million next year, sitting around the 50 million mark, growing 100%, 120% net expansion. And we significantly differentiate from our competitors in a number of critical ways, right? You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Kyle Porter. He's the founder and CEO of SalesLoft, the leading sales engagement platform delivering the best sales experience to customers. The company is recognized as the number one sales engagement platform by G2 Crowd and Atlanta's number one best place to work. Kyle, you ready to take us to the top? I am, Nathan. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Yeah. How are there so many $100 million, $200, $500 million companies in like the sales outreach kind of space? You know, I, I can't speak for all of them. I think there's a few that really have done a big uh, a big deal in the marketplace. You got the data providers; they're doing awesome. You got some of the content providers, the seismics and showpads, and then you got the sales engagement market. Of course, outside of CRM, but I think those are the ones that have made a big big splash in the market. So, talk me through how you're kind of where you see yourself in that stack. Where are you carving out? Where are you winning all the deals? Yeah, of course. So, uh, we we really invented this sales engagement marketplace. And what that means is companies come to codify their go-to-market plays. They take their reps, whether they're inside reps, field reps, customer success managers, BDRs, SDRs, and every single one of those has something they want to achieve with customers and prospects. They codify it into one place and then execute on all those plays. We hold those reps accountable to their activities, measure their success, analyze it, and help them produce better results on going into the future. So would you, I mean, in terms of like directly competitive, we just had Chris Cabrera on. I mean, do you see yourself essentially as again, the same, basically a younger nimble version of Zachley? No, I mean, exactly handles compensation, right? We handle sales engagement. So it's the activities that the reps are making to communicate with their customers and prospects to generate revenue. We become the phone system. We become the email okay. system. We link up with social systems, help you control offline communications, do all that in one platform. And then what happens is reps are able to have more conversations, get 100% coverage on their target accounts, no leads fall through the cracks, generate more opportunities, generate more, generate more revenue, upsells, renewals, that sort of thing. Very cool. Okay, so, so it's basically like an entire communications layer on top of the CRM. Mm -hmm. I want to get back in uh, and we'll get into CRM and kind of some interesting stuff. You did it with Benioff and Salesforce and, uh, and folks like that back in the day. But uh, before we get that, give me a general sense as kind of a size here, right? So if someone wants to pay for your technology for a year, give me kind of your sweet spot on average. Are we talking like, you know, a hundred dollar year accounts, a hundred K, a million dollar year accounts? Where's the sweet spot for you? So I'll give you the quick rundown. We were four employees with zero ARR in this product in 2014. We'll hit 100 million next year, sitting around the 50 million mark, growing 100%, 120% net expansion. And we significantly differentiate from our competitors in a number of critical ways, right? In terms of our customers, it is we are, we are supplying to everyone from SMB to Fortune 500 enterprises, which is something I learned from Scott Dorsey at Exact Target, full gamut, right? So it's everything from a 15K customer to a million dollar customer. Okay. And how many are you serving today? Thousands. 
Okay. Like, okay. Like, so call between two and 10,000, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And so walk me through, I mean, there, there are different sales motions I'm sure you have for each of these different cohorts. So I want to kind of go down a couple of those, uh, here you said launched in 2014, that was kind of zero revenue, uh, zero customers. When did you guys write the first line of code though? I started the company in 2011. We built other products up to that point. The company as it is today, our entire revenue stream that launched in 2014. So I had different products, tested different product market fit, had a data product that went from zero to 7 million in about 18 months that I canceled and uh, completely changed the business on. Uh, so we had a different history in the company, but what you see in sales off today launched in 2014. I want to talk about some of that pivoting, right? Because so for example, job change alerts, right? You credit a lot of, I mean, mm-hmm. that was one of your experiments, right? Um, th- there, right? Some of these things, like they one helped you learn how to basically get to where you yeah. are today. But also I think a lot of them were also potentially lead gen. So tell me about one or two of those early experiments between 2011 and 2014. Yeah, we, we had all kinds of things. We had the job change alerts product, which would link up with your CRM, see all the contacts that people cared about, look on LinkedIn to see when they change jobs and alert you about it. We had news alert system. We had this stream. It was like Twitter and you'd open it up and it'd be all the news articles on the companies that you cared about that you were selling to. Uh, We had the data product, which was the easiest way to build the most accurate and targeted list of prospects in the marketplace. But really none of those aligned with the vision of what I wanted to do for the purpose of this company. And they generated revenue. They generated leads. They they taught us a lot in terms of product management, in terms of culture, in terms of what customers need. Uh, But at the end of the day, we started looking at what the best sellers were doing. And they were communicating with their customers in an authentic, sincere, but repeatable and scalable way. So we decided to build an entire platform for that. Well, when you, you look at sales, I was just going to say, Kyle, and you, yeah, you led with that. Tell me to finish up though, real quick. I was just going to say, when you look at sales, it is a harmonious blend of two things. The customer demands this insightful, real one-to-one human solutions oriented service from your sellers. But then as a company, you've got to have something that's predictable scalable, something you can forecast off of and count on in the future, right? And bringing those two things together is very, very difficult. Because what happens is people end up either shooting spam out of a cannon and being insincere in their sales communications, or they go way too rifle shot and they can't repeat it. And so we solved that with the sales engagement platform. And that's what I learned through that journey. Take me back to 2014 because you are eating your own dog food here. You had Wayne, Anthony, Kevin in the early days, Sean and Chris doing demos. How did you know where to put a stake in the ground in terms of where to set Wayne and Anthony's kind of monthly quota at the start, which we'll talk about how they obviously beat that and you adjusted. But how do you, the reason I'm asking this is there are a lot of entrepreneurs listening, trying to make their first sales hire and they don't know where to put the stick in the ground in terms of like quota. Well, you know, for us, it all boiled back to what was the purpose and why were we there? I had been in sales my whole life going back to a kid. I sold Beanie Babies and baseball cards and Olympic lapel pins during the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, right? And I had this passion for serving customers and seeing the look on their eyes when they bought something that they needed. And what I learned in sales is that there were a lot of sellers doing it the wrong way. They were insincere. They were sloppy. They weren't delivering the customer with the best experience. And I learned that that passion for delivering for the customer was something that I just absolutely loved. So I wanted to build a company that empowered sellers to deliver that incredible experience and do it in an authentic way where the buyer actually appreciated the sales communications. So that became the purpose of the business from day one. And as we did all these other things, you know, I kept looking at, is this fulfilling our purpose and mission? And that's why we made all those adjustments. But on the sales side, you know, I wanted someone to say, I'm, I'm quite evangelical with the way that I sell. And I like to paint a big picture and I like to transform the customer. So I brought Anthony on board and he was super process oriented. Was he, was he number like one? He was right. Was he the first he was the sales? first seller that we brought on board. I had met him at Pardot. I okay. started the company inside the Pardot offices with David Cummings, yep. who we talked about earlier. 
And so I saw Anthony, I saw him working and he just was a dog. He was, was a he a sales guy there as well? Yeah, he was. And how and he much had sales did like two quarters in a row and I brought him over? How much sales were you, did you close yourself before you felt good about passing that script, that system off to Anthony? Yeah, I don't remember the exact number. I would say it's probably somewhere around 100 and 150k ARR, something like that. Okay, you close the kind it's of founder right at that close. 100K. Yeah. Okay. So then uh, March new ARR, we're talking 2014. Now Anthony comes in the quote is 48 grand. I remember the exact numbers. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. He, but I, I, and I, it's unfair because my research team does a great job, but uh, in March of 2014, right. You set monthly quota for Anthony at somewhere around 48,000 bucks in terms of ARR. He, along with well, Wayne, 14, we had hired other people too, because we had, you know, that the data product was taking off and it was in the millions of ARR in 2014. Right. So we had an organization at that point in time. And then we shifted them over to sell the new product. Now, that was a story because what we had was we had this old product that was growing. It was easy to use. It was easy to buy. It was easy to understand. And sellers were making great money on it. Then I introduced this new product. It's not built out yet. It's evangelical. It's a new category. Wait, when when did you launch that second product, Kyle? End of 2014. Okay, so this was when you essentially went from 30 customers and 200K in AR up to 660 customers and 3.7 million bucks in AR. That was a lot of that revenue growth was potentially from that second product in- introduction. Yeah, because in 2015, we were 200K on the new product. The yeah, beginning yeah, of 2015. yeah. So it was all the old revenue. When I tell revenue numbers now, I don't even bring in the old product at all. It's just all what we do today. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I look, things advance, things advance and changing. And the reason I'm pulling this out is because I like collecting patterns, right? And so there are people listening that are at that stage. We can now fast forward to where you're at today, right? Which is there's a lot of people that listen that are in the 30, 40, 50, up to $180 million AR range. So let's talk about, you said 120% net retention, right? Peel that onion back for me. So on a gross churn revenue level, what is that? And what's expansion typically? High 80s, 90s, something like that. Yeah. And we're doing about 50-50 on net new logo bookings and current customer bookings today. Okay, so growth right now is driven, again, 50-50 between net uh, new, brand new, and expansion. Four, 45 expansion, 55 okay. net new logo, yeah. So if you're retaining... And what about, we do is we have, we, have a, um, we have a mid-market team run by a mid-market VP. We've got an enterprise team run by an enterprise VP. They both roll up to the CRO, full organizations under them, solutions engineers, sales ops is, is more centralized. And... Um, you know, SDR teams for both, right? And they just go to market and it's primarily inside sales. Although the enterprise team, we've got a, a handful of field reps. One of the differentiators for sales loft is we're in Atlanta. And what that means is, is that I have a lower employee churn than any of the other companies in the category. It's just the way things happen in Atlanta. How, how low? What, how, what is low? Yes. What is low? What's the actual number? How low is your... Just, just barely in the double digits. I don't have the, the fact facts on me right now. Well, but well, it's, I have, it's I have to ask you, by the way, when you say lowest in the industry, I assume you know yeah, the number and fair, you know how you compare. Fair, yeah. Uh, well, that's what, what we what we hear from our investors uh, when we report it at the board meetings, right? So Atlanta gives us all of those opportunities, but we also have the offices in New York, London, Guadalajara, and in San Francisco. And so that gives us an opportunity to get out in the field with our customers. And we do that in the enterprise side. Um, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a growth market. If you think about sales engagement, it didn't exist two, three years ago. Right. So when you think of companies like Slack and zoom, incredible businesses, but they're replacing old ways of doing the same thing, right. With sales engagement, this never happened before, right. The CRM didn't do these things. People had phone systems, they had email systems, but they didn't have one communications platform. Right. So G2 crowd, really the only analyst in the category at this time, I know Forrest has done some reviews. Uh, but G2 Crowd has ranked us as number one in the category for the last three quarters in a row. Uh, looks like we're there right now. And if you run NPS on all of those reviews, because it's a one through 10 ranking, right? It's like an 80 NPS on that. 
which is really strong, of course. You know, these are healthy. And, By the way, I mean, you're in a great spot. I mean, great hot market, hot space, right? I mean, you are in it. They're, they're, as an entrepreneur in terms of doing what you love and doing something big, I mean, you're, you're right in the sweet spot, product timing, everything. Um, Let me take a quick microscope to mid-market segment. So the way you've built your mid-market SDR to A to CS team, I want to understand this a little bit. So do you right now kind of, do you know what the ratio is between kind of SDRs to AEs to customer success reps in that segment or no? No, I don't know the ratios. I, you know, we've got a, a staff that's leading. I knew it when we were early on. We we actually had a heavier SDR to AE ratio than I think the market did in the early days. What does that and mean? Like you had more SDRs per AE? Like three SDRs to two AEs I see. was our original setup when I was leading the team back then, right? Um, as we brought on Sean Murray to run sales, I think it's more balanced to uh, closer to, uh, I think it's it's a two to one, two AEs to one SDR in the enterprise. Okay. And it's like three AEs to two SDRs in the commercial market. So I think that's probably roughly commercials mid market. Yeah. Well, we call commercial mid market and SMB. Okay. Fair enough. Those two things combined and they're, they're baked in there's, there's teams within there, but one leader. Do you guys care about valuation right now, specifically your valuation? Do you think you might raise soon or sell a portion of the company? There is no other tool on the internet that you can use to get a better and higher valuation than FounderPath's new valuation tool. We have over 253 deals that went down over the past 30 days, all the revenue numbers, all the valuations, and the multiplier. That way you can go filter the data, find companies that are your same size, what they sold or raised for or at, and then use those as comparables in your decks to argue and debate and get a higher valuation and less dilution, which is the name of the game. Less dilution. Check it out today at founderpath.com forward slash products. That's plural forward slash valuations. Again, both plural founderpath.com forward slash products forward slash valuations. Going back to expansion real quick. So you said 120 per, uh, net revenue retention. You said 90% gross retention annually, which means you need about 30%, again, expansion, right? To get up to 120. Where is that that expansion revenue, that 30% is? Is that consistent across both mid-market, your commercial and your enterprise? Or do you see enterprise being way higher? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, the SMB markets have a higher gross churn than the enterprise market does, right? Um, but what we're doing is, uh, there's two things that SalesLoft does that differentiate. One we are serving all customer revenue facing roles, right? So this isn't just SDRs and inside sales AEs, but it includes field reps and account managers and that sort of you know type of communicator, right? Uh, so when we will sign up a customer and it might be SDRs and inside sales, then it will expand to the field team or demand gen team or the account management team. So there's a lot of expansion in there. And then the other one is, is that when you look at sales law, it's the only systems that that's the full suite of sales engagement. So it's not just phone, email, the cadence engine, the calendar, but also includes coaching type tools like our conversation intelligence platform. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times customers will come on board and before we acquired this conversation intelligence platform, they didn't use that, of course. So there's a cross-sell opportunity to bring that in. Yep. What are your most powerful kind of upsell levers currently? Is it number of seats? Is it feature-based upselling or some utility-based metric-driven upsell? In the enterprise, it's different departments or different organizations under the, the, the main brand. Seats. Um, in the smaller market, it's, it's yeah, it's seats in both, um, but it's different departments in one, and then it's different roles in the smaller companies. So the smaller companies might start off with inside an SDR and add in the field or add a demand gen team or something like that. Um, whereas a lot of times in the enterprise, it's like, hey, we have this complete division 
Now we're moving over to this other one that, you know, we didn't have purview into when we went yeah. into the deal. One way to grow, uh, obviously grow expansion. I, I would consider a world-class re- expansion net revenue retention is about a 140%. And one way to go from kind of 30% expansion up north is to go acquire other companies and then obviously put a pro forma together and cross-sell, right, with your sales motion. Yeah. Uh, and any talks right now to acquire any companies? No, we're not. We did acquire a company last year. We bought a company called Note Ninja that played in the conversation intelligence space. So competitors of that product would be like Chorus and Gong. You might be aware of them. So we rolled that into SalesLoft and that's part of the cross-sell. But we've also included that in some packages depending upon the customer. Was that a, I mean, was that basically like you didn't have to put out any cash for that deal? It was like an equity kind of thing or it was a real acquisition with real I'm money? Not, I mean, I, I, the, the founders can tell that story if they want to. Were they bootstrapped or did they raised capital? They were bootstrapped. Yeah, they hadn't raised any capital okay, at all. And they're still here. They're employees of SalesLoft. That's very good. Okay, and good. Fantastic. That's good. Okay, good. So uh, upsell, understand that expansion. That's great. Uh, obviously, you raised capital. What's the total figure today? 140, I believe. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, look, obviously it's a sexy number. You get all the TechCrunch headlines. You're a smart content guy. You know how to use it as leverage, but obviously you wouldn't do it unless it really helped you drive the business, but you also have to manage dilution, right? So some people might look at that and go, oh my gosh, they're doing 140 today. Their AR to funding ratio is like one to three, right? They've got 50 million AR, 140 raised. You know, Eric just went public with Zoom and it was opposite, right? His revenue was double what his total funding was, right? So how do you get your revenues to catch up to your total funding raised? Well, first of all, you got to think that the biggest investment that we ever raised just happened. We had cash in the bank when that happened. So we still got tons of cash in the bank. So there's a difference between ARR to money raised. You could look at ARR to money burned, and that's a totally different ratio, right? So we're still sitting on half of that money or more, right? Half of the the 140? Yeah, that's just in the bank, right? So that's the first thing. But I think when you come to investors, the the biggest thing for me is, are they going to take this business to the next level? And I just absolutely love the investors that we've saddled up to. And if you think about it, Zoom, uh, biggest shareholder of Zoom uh, from an investor is Emergence Capital, right? And Jason Green, he's on those board in those board meetings. Jason's in my board meetings. He's one of the biggest advisors to our organization. But by the way, Zoom, you know, incredible company, once in a lifetime opportunity. But again, Zoom is a replicative business. That market existed. They came in with something absolutely better than the system. But Cisco Kyle, that's, that's, why, that's why I love it, right? I mean, everyone says you have to have a new idea. And the fact is you can just out-execute. Oh, oh yeah, it's right? absolutely great. I mean, I it's mean, incredible. Zoom is an incredible business. And I think that one of the really cool things that Eric did with Zoom is the R&D spend as a percentage of revenue because of the China connection. Wait, tell me, really tell, me, cool. tell me more about that. I, well, I have to pay US, I, I pay US engineers. He yeah. pays Chinese engineers. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, there's a difference there, right? There, and, there is uh, arbitrage. I love my engineers and they're fantastic. Yeah, you would see so there, there are so many different ways when you look at arbitrage on development teams. Obviously, he was China, but there are so many even Canadian companies using using uh, Shred, right? And getting 60% rebates from the government. That is, yeah. No, it's just we don't have this kind of leverage in the US anywhere. There's no like a government in China and Canada will essentially pay 60% of developer salaries if you're spending it on R&D. Okay. So it's subsidized, right? Like we don't have that, right? Um, yeah, now, we have some R&D tax credits, but they don't, I mean, they're single digits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, very good. So one, 40 raise, 70 in the bank. You're being smart about growth. How aggressive are you being to acquire new customers? Are you happy with a 12 month payback or you go up to 24 months? What are you looking at? Um, just shy, like 13, 14 months right now. Generally moving uh, up, like more aggressive or less aggressive? What's the trend? Which way are you going? It's hovered. Um, you know, we see it kind of go up a little bit and down a little bit as we get, when we do our annual conference, it goes up that month, you know, that quarter, right? And then it goes back down and then it goes back up at the end of the year. So I think it's been pretty stagnant. Uh, but you know, we continue to invest in growth, but we do it in a healthy way. You know, we've always been focused on efficiency and, you know, we don't want obviously a heavy amount of dilution when we raise our rounds. And so, you know, I think, you know, for us, it's, it's been, that's always the balance you have to look at in the business is, 
And the other thing is because it is a new category of business, these enterprise organizations, they need some evangelical sale in a lot of these scenarios. And there's other hurdles to get through in terms of procurement and legal and IT. So we're just making sure that we time the market as best as we can. And of course, you know, that's, that's always, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a crapshoot, but we've learned to do it pretty well. That's good. No. And look, the biggest expenses, obviously are headcount marketing and sales, obviously look to scale. How aggressive are you being in terms of burn? You're talking like 5 million burn a month or more or less? Less. Less. Okay. Way fair, less. Fair enough. Yeah. Right, do you think you'll scale up to that level with the new, new raise or no? No, I mean, uh, all of our financial projections have us with the possibility of taking this round to be the last round. Now, that doesn't mean we might not raise again, depending upon the market. Last round before IPO. Um, Yeah, that last round before that, you know, we're building the business to be IPO ready. I'm not telling my employees that it's IPO or bust because I want to, you know, make sure that they know that we can still have a great business if we don't do that. Who knows what happens in the macroeconomic climate? You've got crazy things happening with the president. And so I don't want to, you know, put all our eggs in that basket. But we also didn't build this company to sell it. I built this company to transform the profession of sales forever. Yep. And that's what I want to do so that 40 years back, you know, 40 years from today, when you look at the timeline of sales, you'll see a giant sales off stamp, like right in the middle of it. I love the vision. What's the team size today? How many folks? A little over 400. Okay, a little over 400. And then you said you're at about 50 in terms of run rate today, 50 million. Where were you about yep. a year ago? Do you remember? This time a year, a year ago, it was probably 26 at 5, 20, something like that. 25. Okay, good. So, yeah, I mean, I mean the re, it's always interesting to companies your scale, right? You can, you know, the 2x, 2x year over year gets harder and harder, obviously, the bigger you get, right? So, it's, it's like, yeah, how we'll do you- grow less than 100% year on year from today. Oh, yeah. So not that much. It'll be going 50 to 100. Yeah, so you're trying to, you're basically telling well, your team, well, hey, guys. Makes it more difficult. Exactly. Yeah, you're telling your team, hey, guys, listen, we're, it's not IPO or bust, but we're hoping, you know, mid next year-ish, we're in a position to, if we want to, do it. Well, I think, you know, companies are, are getting a little further than the $100 million mark when they file for IPO too. So, you know, I don't think we would look at filing at that at that level when we were, if we were there and wanted to do that. I think it'd probably be 140, 150 where you still oh, have those conversations. Interesting. Okay. Um, a last question here about- but All dist- that can change. And I've got a CFO who knows way more about that than I do. <laughs> Fair enough. Good asterisk there. Last question here. Um, distribution channels are critical in any SaaS company. And one of the things I like to look at is how founders play arbitrage games on their distribution channel. Um, Sales Hacker was a distribution channel for you guys in terms of similar web and Alexa data in terms of traffic drive driven into you well, guys. I thinking about one of my competitors because uh, no, no, Sales no. Hacker is owned by someone no, else. I know. If you let me finish the question. So they were acquired by Outreach. And so my question yes. to you is why did you let that distribution distribution channel get away? Were you okay sitting out with that acquisition? Oh, that wasn't really a distribution channel for us. That was just a content marketplace. I mean, we paid, like we, we sponsored their conferences and went to their conferences, but they weren't that much. They weren't like higher ROI than the other conferences that we run or anything like that. I know. And, that's and my question. Though, if you were spending, if you were, if you were spending money, that's my question. Though, if you were spending money there, you were doing it because it was making you some amount of money. And I'm just curious from an aggressive or defensive perspective, why do you let a distribution that you were paying to be in get away to a competitor? Do you just not see it as it wasn't as valuable to you as it was to Manny? Um, yeah, I think so. And they already had a relationship. I think Manny, um, I think they were investors in each other's businesses. So that, that was kind of already baked in from early on. Uh, but for us, I mean, there was other channel, there were other channels that were equally as effective. And I think sales hacker for us was more of a brand play, you know, Hey, we want to connect with our customers. I, I would go to sales hacker and speak. And the biggest benefit was I get off stage and meet with 15 of my customers, get to shake their hand and say, hi. Right. But then we really started picking up and investing in our own conference. And that was 1400 people last year. So you know, that, that ended up eclipsing the other conferences that we would go to in terms of being able to bring our customers and prospects into a place and spend time with them. Good stuff. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Uh, the advantage by Patrick Lencioni, uh, organizational health is the biggest differentiator a company can achieve. Number two, CEO you're following or studying. Uh, it's hard not to follow Benioff. Um, I like the CEO of Southwest. I forgot his name, but I, I've read all of his articles. 
you're not in acquisition talks right now with with Benioff, are you? No. Nothing with LinkedIn either. It's your it's your third no. most used module. No, no LinkedIn no. or Microsoft. Not in acquisitions talks with anyone. We're not building this business to sell it. All right, number three. Uh, what's your favorite online tool for building your company besides uh, besides Salesoft? I mean, the Gmail suite. <laughs> you know, I mean. Number four. How many hours of sleep you get every night? Uh, I target six. All right, six and, to seven. And how old are you, Kyle? Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. In situation, married, single, kiddos. Married, eleven years. April. Uh, son, two, Clark, daughter, five, Brooklyn. I thought you were going to say married and 11 kids. And I was going to go, holy <laughs> cow, this guy's a machine. All right. Last question, Kyle. What do you wish your 20? 20- do done it without my wife, by the way. All entrepreneurs listening to this thing, having someone in the trenches with you. She never once complained. I went 14 months, no salary, invested all my money into the business. Never once you should get a job. This thing's crashing. Always there by my side. Number one sidekick, lover to death. Thanks, April. Lucky, lucky man, Kyle. Lucky man. All right, take us back 17 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Um, You know, I think it's about purpose, right? Uh, I've got this written on my wall right here. It says, my purpose is to grow and equip others to do remarkable things and lead significant and fulfilled lives. And that, I started to realize that when I was 20. And uh, and I I grew up fast because I got in some trouble and I had to change my life. And after that, it was wake up every day with that as my mission. I wish that was my mission when I was 16, 17. Guys, Kyle Porter sales off, playing in the sales engagement space in a big way. 140 million bucks raised to, again, grow the company. Now serving thousands, call it between two and 10,000 customers, doing about a $50 million run rate up from 25 million bucks just a year ago, burning less than 5 million bucks a month to drive that growth. 120% net revenue retention as they look to scale, paying CACs anywhere between kind of 14 and 16 month payback periods. Again, healthy growth, healthy scale, healthy economics. Kyle, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. Have a great day.